0: That was a really empowering moment to be like, well, I don't care if I turn out a monster, then let it be, let it come. I will be the monster that I am and I will still be happier than I am now.
1: Content warnings for this episode include misgendering. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts and guests live and have dwelt upon. Today we honor the Mohawk, Algonquin and Wabawaki and the Muiscas. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands, and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Hey, howdy, folks. Welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender-diverse folks about their special interests. Hi, I'm Miranda Katita, and my pronouns are she, her. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, and gender-diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender-diverse community. We want our audience to know that we hold multiple diverse identities and bring these lenses to the show with our passion for telling our stories. Identify as trans-feminine, neurodivergent, queer, and a person of color residing in Canada. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved. And we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is the monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. If you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There is no social or medical prerequisites to be included in the community. welcome to genderful y'all first pod of 2024 this is a show interviewing gender diverse people about their special interests this week our guest is miles barrero he they pronounce and uh they are chatting with us about their memoir which came out in last october of 2023 titled beautiful monster a becoming uh so miles is actually recommended as a guest by a previous guest that we had on the show KB brookens so welcome to genderful miles it's wonderful to have you here Thank you so much, Miranda. It's so amazing to be here with you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so let's jump right into the interview. Um, uh, by the way, y'all should check out this book. I I took a quick look through it, and it looks uh, looks very interesting. Um, hopefully, uh, when I get the chance to uh, read things again, which <laughs> it's been quite some time since I've been able to read, uh, it's it's sitting there on my pile of books to read. So, <laughs> uh, you so can we'll also listen yeah, to cool it. Question.
0: I'm sorry. You can also listen to it if you want. Yes, there um, is an so audiobook Chinese, version as yeah.
1: well. So we have a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, the first one is what might be the things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse one day?
0: Sure. Um well, you know it's interesting. I uh, I I don't think I'm I'm super in love with the with the term gender diverse because I think that it um, it assumes that the gender binary is sort of um, the standard or something, um, but I definitely think that I've known my whole life that I that I was different, you know, um, and that I, I fit somewhere more in the gray area between the binaries. Um, since I was really, really little, I didn't really have a way to articulate it for myself, for mm-hmm. sure. I think that the words weren't there. Um, I grew up in Colombia, South America, during the Pablo Escobar years during the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. Um, and we're a deeply Catholic country. Mm-hmm. And so I think and the and the gender binary here is very, very marked. So uh, it was not hard for me to feel like I, I lived somewhere outside of those two boxes. Um yeah, so I think I think I knew I think I knew very early on um in the sense that I I felt like I was a boy uh when I was very little and then um I think my trajectory was that then I sort of had to in order to survive and and exist I basically uh performed femininity for many many years um and then then, at the like well, I really started my transition around the age of at forty, but before that, I think ten years before that, I had started to uh, in a very slow and gradual way, uh, I started to shirk the responsibility of having to perform femininity mm-hmm. and and started finding little ways of um of finding other ways of being within that. But they were very, very, uh, I think for me, it was like a very slow build into realizing what was actually happening and how I could relate to my gender differently. So it really took me a long time to figure it out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, very personably relatable so we're probably very close in age Uh, I mean I also grew up in the 80s um and I also so I started transitioning in my late 30s and yeah and uh yeah like when you said it's like even before you kind of figure it out you start kind of you stop performing a little because like for me so I mean like I was assigned male at birth and uh I very much like my masculinity was a performance I was performing my gender Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, over time, I kind of stopped performing, I started like, you know, slowly introducing a little bit of femininity here and there. It's like, I'm going to start wearing pink polo shirts, and you can't stop me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, totally. I think it's more that right when you don't have Mm -hmm. words, you really, uh, or like when since I didn't have words, and and there wasn't really a whole lot of representation when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. um, It was really, it was no man's, it was kind of like no person's land, you know, like you had to, you had to kind of, uh, walk through the forest and start you know like making a path for yourself and yeah I, I do yeah I can really relate to that idea of instead of it was less of a of a forthright coming out into the wilderness but it was more of a I'm gonna let go of this now and I'm gonna let go of that now and I'm gonna stop doing that because I never really loved that and I feel like now I I can you know and so for me it was it was very similar it was like I I gave up mm. You know, like at first it was um, I grew up in, in Latin America and and the the standards here of femininity are very, uh, I would say, heightened and intensified.
1: Yes. And so, yes. for
0: example, like I never had access to. Um, I mean, we're going to go right into it. Underwear. The underwear here is bananas. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. very. um women's underwear is very specific and very uh, sexy. And so as I was growing up and I was, uh, as a teenager, I could never find comfortable underwear, you know? So first it was kind of like, uh, and I think, I don't know if you remember American Apparel, that brand?
1: Yes. Um,
0: They had like the boyfriend underpants or something that were Mm. kind of almost like boys underwear. Um, and so, at first, it was kind of like, well, I'm gonna let go of that, and I'm gonna wear a uh, boyfriend underpants, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like little things like that, you know, like then I, then I'd start I, I I'd venture into the 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 men's side of the store and mm-hmm. uh, things like that, but that but that all happened really, like slowly over time, I kind of shed the layers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, so I, that's another thing I really, really do. Cause I mean, I, I grew up, uh, so I grew up in a very like religious Muslim household and, mm-hmm. um, in Muslim culture, there's the sexes are very segregated. Like they're like yeah. you, there's basically no separation at all between men and or they're, they're like men and women are completely separated. And, and yeah, like in the time that we grew up, there wasn't really a lot of great representation in media. So like, I mean, I didn't even know what a trans person was until my 20s, so like.
0: I I think I didn't really know. I mean, I think I knew because I had seen, um, when I was growing up, uh, Columbia used to get a lot of uh, really wonderful world cinema. And so I remember the crying game coming out um, Mm -hmm. when I was young, probably like 14. And so I kind, I kind of knew, but I kind of didn't under, like I, I couldn't, I knew and I didn't really take issue with any of it, but I couldn't quite process it. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like I really, my first sort of obvious trans experience when I was um, seeing someone who was trans was boys don't cry. And still I didn't really, I couldn't quite understand what, what was happening. And I think I was mm-hmm. probably in my mid twenties then. And then after that, um, it really, it, I think I was probably in my mid-30s when I finally sort of started to get it. I was like, oh, there's, you know, like this is a whole different uh, world mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's an opening. But I think it took me, I don't know, you know, culturally and um, I think the way that we're raised is so deeply ingrained in us that that. Mm-hmm. You have to chip away at those, or I had to chip away at those layers for a long, long time before I could actually uh, kind of see what I was looking at, you know, yeah, which is a really weird thing, you know? To, yeah, to, and that's,
1: yeah, like, I, not really I, I totally get that. Are. I totally get that, and it's something like you know I've joked about. It. It's like you know people crack their trans eggs, so it's like you know you're you're picturing like a chicken egg. It's like my egg was an ostrich egg that had an inch thick shell that I needed totally. power tools in several decades.
0: <laughs> you need like one of those things that the, yeah, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to break the road up. Yeah, totally a drill. Yeah.
1: Now we all know I that, was that like that too yeah so our relationship to gender is not it's not a linear process so it's you know it's not point a to point b to point C sometimes we go from totally. point a to point q to point alpha totally. so um, totally. how would you say your relationship to gender has evolved over time
0: I would say um I would say that uh at this point in my life I'm not really that interested in gender meaning that mm. i i I feel like freedom and the um, space to express myself is more important to me than actually, uh, you know, fitting into some sort of box. I think for a while I had to, uh, the process was, I mean, I think in choosing to transition in the way that I did, I, I had to sort of embrace the male gender a certain degree in order to allow myself to expand my masculinity um but that stopped being but it was it was never about becoming a man or becoming male necessarily it was just that i needed more space for expression Um, Mm -hmm. and now that i'm i'm like further along in my transition and that i i'm sort of more grounded in 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 this body and like what i'm doing I feel like uh, I don't know. I just don't feel like gender in itself is that interesting um, of a of a of a thing. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's 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 useful, obviously. To it's a shorthand, but I feel like gender is is so intimate and so um, expansive. And uh, you know, like for example, I'll give you an example. Like I, I when I was in my when I was around 19, I fell in love with my first woman, with my first girlfriend. And then the, that process of coming out of the closet of, of, or, of sort of, of realizing that I was queer and all these things. And now I feel a lot more open to all kinds of people. But I think that, and all kinds of genders. And I think that that has to do with me coming to a place where I've just, um, I feel really good. You know, and so it's almost like the boxes and the labels, I, I do think the labels are super important uh, to some degree in order for us to find our communities and all that, That, but the labels themselves for me don't really hold the, um, they're just, they're markers, you know, yeah. more than real, more than landing strips. So, uh, yeah, I feel like I'm I'm just a lot more fluid with all of it. Than I used to be but I think part of that's because I'm not as stressed out I think when I before I had even begun my transition there was just such a such an amount of stress and anxiety that went along with that um, and a lot of energy to upkeep sort of those uh, facades and as I started chipping away at those facades I, I just feel so much better inside myself that I'm I'm just much more open and available for whatever anybody Wants to propose and bring, you know, I, it, which is really like a lovely feeling.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I love that for you. That's that's such a great way of looking at it. Um, and mm-hmm. so, when we're talking about these, you know, boxes and labels, I mean, I think it's important to remember that uh, they can be useful for a lot of us, but of course, it, we kind of have to, we kind of have to like keep in mind that they are descriptive and not prescriptive. So, I mean, just because you fall into a certain box, it doesn't mean you have to be that way. It's just, it just it's just a useful tool to help describe, you know, your own experiences. It's so, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's, I mean, for like, personally, like a lot of it was just kind of like shedding all those layers of masculinity and then figuring out what was left and what I wanted. to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. So do you feel
1: kind of society's expectations, then you go out and you figure out, it's like, well, who do I want to be?
0: totally do you feel like there's any masculinity like do you feel like within the shedding that there was a kind of masculinity that you maintain that, that you that did feel like you and that did feel yours or did you do you feel like you really like let go of all of it I'm just curious
1: I, I th- so I think there's still some some of it left <laughs> excuse mm-hmm. me so definitely um my desire to you know protect others uh, mm-hmm. So like being socialized as a male, you're kind of, you have this expectation of being able to do violence at a moment's notice. Um, Mm. and, um, I let go of a lot of that, but there's still that, like, you know, there's still that, like, part of me that's like, if you come after, like, someone I care about, like, you're gonna, if you mess around, you're gonna find out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's something that's kind of like still there, but I've tried to turn it into like a positive sense like you know because you know our our community is under attack it is we are under threat and we need need our guardians, we need people who are going to be out there to like fight for us both like, you know with words and with action so it's absolutely yeah. Um, and, um, I, I, am still doing my weight training. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm like full on muscle mommy here. (laughs) Nice. nice. Well, I was just asking because I feel like I'm much more comfortable
0: with my own femininity now, um, Mm -hmm. than I used to be. It feels like, like it bubbles up and over and I feel good about that because I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like those two poles of me are at odds anymore and I feel like on any given day they can kind of sway and play and dance with each other in a much more uh, like with more grace than they they used to be able to
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I mean definitely like early on in my transition it was something that's uh I wanted to get away from anything that like was masculine I want to just Mm -hmm. just get me like on the other side of the planet just like no I, I don't want any part of that but it's I've kind of relaxed that a little bit uh, now mm-hmm. that i'm further along in my transition and i'm i'm a bit more secure with myself so it's i mean i still i still feel very feminine i i mm-hmm. feel like i have a lot of feminine energy but there's still yeah. nugget of masculinity yeah. in there somewhere so
0: <laughs> i mean i love i love you know the conversations with people cuz everybody experiences it so differently too that i really appreciate um just there's so much variety and so much uh, so much of the spectrum, you know, that it's, it's mm-hmm. quite wonderful and magical to kind of see mm-hmm. where people, like how people experience their own skin and how people experience their own lived experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why don't we talk about your book? That's good. do it. <laughs> uh, So what inspired you to write your memoir uh, titled Beautiful Monster of Becoming?
0: I brought a little copy of it here so that you can oh, see the- Oh, um... there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, I'm a yoga teacher by trade. I've taught yoga now for 18 years. And um, I, I started a project maybe 13 years ago where I, I, I wanted a, to do something playful and expressive. So I wanted to write. Um, and I, I started writing a blog uh, for my students, basically, that I would kind of send out once a month. I promised myself I would do it once a month and I would send it out to my students. Um, and it was uh, because yoga philosophy sometimes feels so unattainable, I thought it would be interesting to have my experience of how the philosophy actually meets my life, so some of the stories were funny, some of the stories were, it it was whatever was going on basically, and I would, uh, and whatever I was thinking about in terms of, of the yoga philosophy, and so I started writing that blog once a month, and my students kept saying, oh, you know, your writing is really interesting, it's really good. It's, uh, we really enjoy reading it and you should write something. And then about six years ago, I went through a hardcore breakup. And Mm. what, you know, when you, uh, here in Colombia we say atusa, when your heart is just totally like in a knot. Mm. Um, And I had a lot of time on my hands and I was, It also coincided with my dad's, or it was right after my dad's passing, and uh, so I was just grieving, I think, a lot, and I started considering compiling some of these essays that I had written for my students and maybe making like a little book of essays of how philosophy kind of meets the the life, and when I started looking at it, I realized that uh, the story that really wanted to be told was different. I felt at the time, um, and this was only six years ago, I felt like there was such little information and knowledge about the trans community. Um, and and I felt like I had very little knowledge about us, and I was already starting to, to um, to really understand that I was part of the community. And I also felt, um, I don't know, I would get a lot of questions from my students about this, that, and the other. And then, you know, as the six years that took me to write the book and to put it out passed, um, it became very clear that, that you know, politically we were being chosen as scapegoats for a bunch of things, um, that, that there's a lot of myths and disinformation about us out there and and also that that our community really suffers from a lot of violence., uh, you know, and I wanted to put a story out that didn't have a horrible ending. Um I wanted uh, or at least to the end of this book has not had a horrible ending. And I wanted to to, I wanted to create a to tell my story in a way that was so universal that anybody could relate to it. but there was also a trans story and that was honest um with the difficulties and the challenges of being trans, but that also could appreciate the beauty and the magic of we of what we offer. And um I've had a really wild life i I grew up. Uh, you know, in Colombia, while there were bombs going off, uh, mm. and it was pretty wild here. And then uh, I've done a lot of different things, like I've I've really, uh, I'm kind of, uh, I'm a very intense personality. So when I when I mm. go after something, I go for it deeply. So I, I was a hardcore horseback rider for a long time, like I rode for 18 years, almost every day, except for Mondays. Um, you know, then I became an actor and I was, I did that for 14 years, really intensely. Um, and then since then I've become a yoga teacher. So I felt like there was a lot of, uh, of just interesting little nuggets of lived experience. I think that being an immigrant, um, also, you know, uh, I don't feel like there are a lot of Latinx voices that I know of that are out there, uh, Mm -hmm. that are, you know, kind of loud and proud or queer. Um, so I felt like the, 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 all of the things that I was, was perhaps a voice that we were lacking and that I could offer something that might allow people that are younger than myself and people that are older than myself and people that are cis and people some understanding and also like some some reverb, you know, some like, oh, I felt that too. Um yeah, so I wanted to write the book as a prayer and as a sort of um, balm for our community. And I also yeah. wanted to write the book as a as a a kind of a soft challenge and dare to allies and to cis head people to expand. Expand their awareness and their ability to um, kind of acknowledge and take in other otherness, their otherness compared to them. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that was important to me. Like I wanted, I wanted, I wanted a cis person to be able to pick up the book and and realize that that I want the same things they do in a lot of ways. And I know that we're very different, like our communities. I wanted also to celebrate our differences, but I really wanted anybody, you know, like a young person, an old person to be able to pick up this book and be like, I've had love, I've had heartbreak, I've had tough situations that I've not known how to navigate myself out of. I've had deaths in my family. I've, you know, and and, um, because I feel like ultimately our humanity is broader than the things that make us different and our differences are what make us uh, if we want to acknowledge our differences, they are what can make us really, really amazing. You know, the the acknowledging of those differences and the uplifting of those differences.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's very well said. Um and I I, I completely agree. Uh, something that uh, I talk about quite a lot is the, the value of art therapy. So, you know, whether you're mm. writing a book or you're you're painting, uh, you're painting a picture, or you're, in my case, you're making videos. Um, yeah. it's it's kind of a way of like working through your own stuff, but also, you know, kind of paying it forward to the next generation. Because, like, I mean, our generation, we didn't grow up with a lot of information about trans people. We didn't grow up with a lot of other trans stories or uh, getting to learn about other trans experiences so uh, that's that's kind of you know my gift to the younger people is is mm-hmm. sharing my own stories and maybe that'll help them with their with their maybe things maybe um, they won't have had things as tough as we did
0: <laughs> oh my gosh I mean yes. we we had no representation so I feel mm-hmm. like like feeling seen or feeling acknowledged or being being Feeling that reverb of like, oh, I've I've been in that situation. I think is so powerful, and and it was so lonely for me for so long mm, um, yeah. with my transition and with my queerness that that I really I really just wanted to put something out that maybe you know maybe it would reach one or two people and would help them not feel so lonely. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. And and um I know personally like um seeing other people's stories that helped me a lot with my transition. It's like, you know, when I first started exploring my gender, it's like this is how much of a nerd I am. I go on Google. It's like, how do you know if you're trans? And right. um and I started, you know, watching other stories from other trans people and it's it's hard for me to overstate the impact that that had on me and I I wish that we had these resources when when we were growing up. Uh,
0: Absolutely. And I also think that the, the giving value to our story, the fact like acknowledging that our stories matter is very empowering Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because it, if our stories matter, then it means that we matter. Yes. And it's kind of an acknowledgement that we exist and that we exist, that our worth is intact just by existing. you know, and I, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. something that, that we've grown, I've grown up in a world that says the opposite, Mm -hmm. you know, that says that everything that I am is negative, but I, I think through writing the book, I'm claiming my own worthiness, and I am claiming all of my readers worthiness, you know, and I, I, I do think that that it might be like an inside change that feels very small, but it's on a cellular level, I think it's profound.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, even even now, like we we live in a we live in a world that tells us that our lives don't have value and and right. that we don't matter. And it's you know, um it's 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 a brave thing to do to the, you know, put your foot down and say, No, we do matter. I matter. So, right. Um, and
0: I also, another thing of, you know, writing it is that um, I think it's also like, yo, I'm smart, you know, like, like we are, we are fierce, you know, we've had to become better at whatever we're doing. We've had to be more, we've had to become better informed, more educated, more amazing in order to be able to, um, to exist this far. You know what mm. I mean? So I also feel like it's it's sort of like a like like acknowledge me. You know, I'm right here.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now your book has a bit of an interesting title. Can you tell us about the reason behind the title of Beautiful Monster? <laughs>
0: yes. Um, I really, so if, if you were to look at the, um, you probably can't see it very well here, but the it's the title is kind of laid on almost like a piece of paper and then there's a polaroid and the monster the paper is creased so it almost feels like the monster has a line going through it Mm. um i mean i think queerness has always I, i don't know i i feel like the queer community has a fascination with monsters um i feel like we have been called and thought of as monsters historically uh i feel like there's uh there's also a power in monsters. There's a kind of mythology mm-hmm. and um, superpower in in the monstrous, you know. And and uh, there's something perverted and and amazing about it that that's, that's, that's um, that that I kind of love and grapple with. And um, the beautiful monster was i feel like there are all these wonderful creatures in nature you know that are maybe not what you think of as beautiful um and -hmm. they're beautiful but they're these odd sort of i'm thinking of like like things in the ocean and you know like there are all these creatures that are kind of like you don't know what to do with them and but their beauty is undeniable you know like if you look at a spider close-up like they have like their eyes glare, they have like a shine and they have, nature's just so full of detail and stuff. And I love this idea that that we are, um, that if the world sees us as monstrous, there is still beauty there, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I was transitioning, I was, um, or during the beginning of my physical transition, I found it terrifying Because I had been told all my life or sort of like not told verbally, but told through media, told through news, told through that I was going to become monstrous. And the moment that I decided to proceed with my transition was a moment where I had to really, uh, it was a moment where I had to make a decision and a choice that even if the answer was monstrous, it was what I needed and that maybe being monstrous isn't that bad, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of commit my own mythology and commit to my own monster. Um, And that was a really empowering moment to be like, well, I don't care if, if I turn out a monster, then let it be, let it come, but I will be the monster that I am and I will still be happier than I am now, oh, you know. So I kind of love the play of of. I think it's also like testing the reader. You know, it's kind of like, well, I, you know, like, are you like like like? Uh, it's it's like a challenge. It's like, do you want to open the door and see what's in here? Let's <laughs> go, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. yeah and um uh, speaking of the the artwork of the cover of the book i, I wanted to draw attention to the uh, the polaroid itself so there's a little bit of a drawing uh so for those of you who are listening in the future there's a drawing of devil horns uh and angel wings so can you tell us a little bit about the the symbolism there
0: sure uh so the the polaroid was taken by my dad it's it's a polaroid of me when i was probably like eight years old and um, the the Polaroid is kind of sitting on a on a piece of paper, sort of like a bluish piece of paper. And um, we, the, uh, there's some mythology in the book. The book is sort of uh, w- woven in with some Indian mythology, mm. um, or some Indian mythological stories. Only a few of them that I really love. And so I wanted. I wanted there to be a nod toward the mythical and toward the, the the magical, um, and mystical probably in there too. Uh, And I also wanted it to be, uh, I'm a product of the '80s, you know. So there's something there's something like very, uh, street. that I, I love the sort of Converse hitting the pavement and 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 mm. you know chewing gum stuck to the bottom of the of the chair and whatever the that, that, that kind of like 80s vibe that we that we grew yeah, up. Yeah, even Polaroids so,
1: themselves are very Polaroid. much a, like it's a very narrow slice of history where Polaroids were a thing. It was like yes. they were cheap enough to mass produce, but they were before the age of the digital camera.
0: <laughs> exactly, and, yes. and they were quick. Like you could, it was the the one time that you could take a picture and you could see it right then mm. and there right so we thought well wouldn't it be cool to kind of um draw something on the polaroid uh but then we realized that if we pulled the drawing out of the polaroid it kind of also was like kind of mythical and mm. then we we tried different things like i tried putting a, a a mermaid tail on the polaroid and like a unicorn horn we tried like a mustache Uh, and different things and then it just seemed like with the title um that's kind of testing the way that the people that were portrayed in the media um the clearest thing was the devil horns and the kind of angel wings it's like beautiful monster is this is this a monster is it not a monster like is this person a monster are they not a monster like uh you decide you know um so I felt like it distilled also um because when you take things and you make them are they good or are they evil that's also a way of of, of really oversimplifying something right like we are all capable of all the things mm-hmm. um like you were saying you know like if someone comes after one someone that you love uh you're capable of 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 rage and of of protection mm-hmm. protecting them and and so i you know it's kind of also like a it I think it poses like a nice question for the reader, like where do you land on this on this subject, like after reading this book, or as you open the pages to this book?
1: Mhm now earlier you mentioned that uh you were a very serious horseback rider, uh, yeah. and horses play a very large role in your book and in your journey. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that?
0: yeah i uh, I think the first time I felt really seen was by a horse Aww. um and i i don't know that i would have survived my younger years without horseback riding horseback riding was was uh i went to a um uh, what do you call those like schools where people wear uh sports coats um <laughs> <Private schools? laughs> well yes like a private school or boarding but it was a school. very kind of like a It wasn't a boarding school it was a private school but it was very um it it was geared it was in bogota but it was geared toward uh everybody going to an ivy league so it was a prep school oh Um, prep school yeah and and the environment in the school was was harsh you know um oh thank you somebody said they love the cover design i appreciate you (laughs) (laughs) um uh but so the prep school um and i think there wasn't a lot of um arts were not really fostered and, and, and so there wasn't, there weren't a lot of outlets for me. So I think that horseback riding kind of became my sanctuary and my shelter. And when you are in relationship to a horse, horses are really, it's all about breath and energy. There's not a whole lot of speaking or, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you, you know, and you are relating I don't know. Like you, I don't know if you have any pets, but you know, I have, I have dogs and um, I've had cats before and I feel like animals are just such, such amazing teachers Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: there is so much, every, a lot of it happens in silence, at least without words and through breath and little grunts and little gestures. And you learn to read their eyes and, um, and I feel like Merlin, my first horse, really uh, was able to, like, I felt really seen by him, you know, and so I feel like he really, he really taught me um, a kind of being inside myself that had steadiness, that I didn't get anywhere else. And I feel like that steadiness really, after I start stopped horseback riding at 18, when I went to college in the US, I feel like that really was something that I was able to take with me. And I feel like that's one of the few things that I can really pinpoint to that has gotten me here, you know, that mm-hmm. I really needed. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's I, I feel the same way about animals. So I mean, I didn't I didn't grow up on horses, but you know, um, just I I love everyone else's pets. I don't have my own pets, but I love other uh-huh. people's pets. <laughs> and lots of pets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just kind of it's like whenever I go to a gathering or a party or anything like that, I just I I look for the, if there's an animal, I look for the animal and just ignore all the humans.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, and that's just, like- I don't know, this, animals have this like strange wisdom about them where they, they can they can sense your emotions um and um they kind of always gravitate to the person that kind of needs them the most um and uh and that's something I really resonate with like it's and like each animal has its own kind of different personality and different ways of uh responding to people and I don't know I could I could talk about animals all day so
0: (laughs) I know they have a they have a dignity and an elegance that's so Mm -hmm. built in you know it's it's really amazing to me like I feel like I just learn so much from them constantly. Whenever I'm near them, and um, I just feel so grateful to what they, what they. I don't know. There, there's also like a softness there. Like even even, um, even when they're a little feisty, like cats or whatever. There's still yeah, there's the yeah. there's a, a smoothness or a softness that comes with them that, maybe I don't feel like I have so readily. <laughs> so it's something that I can really kind of absorb. <laughs>
1: so uh we talked about this a little bit uh briefly before so uh let's talk about colombia so you mentioned before you grew up during the pablo escobar years uh so for those of you who maybe need a little bit of a history lesson so pablo escobar was a very big uh drug person (laughs) uh so there was a lot of violence in colombia during those years uh there was a lot of uh, drug wars and and it was um Pretty dark times. So, um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about growing up in that in that environment?
0: I think it probably was extended over twelve or or fifteen years. And Pablo Escobar, uh, his thing was that he was trying to become um, sanctioned politically, like he was trying to to in, infiltrate the government. Mm-hmm. So that he could sort of similar to what happened in Cuba um, so that he could basically use the country of Colombia to, to build his, to continue to build his fortune and make laws that benefited him. Um, I mean, very similar to other people we might know um, or yeah. might have heard of in the last few years Yeah, uh, yeah. and this year. Um, and, but, It brought on a a time that was extremely violent. So I grew up with bombs going off and people getting kidnapped and uh, people getting shot and murdered. And one of the things that that Escobar did was that he he had this theory that the way to uh, control the population was to terrorize them so all a, a lot of his acts were random
2: because mm-hmm. he didn't
0: he he just thought if he blew something up here and then blew something up there it would keep people basically traumatized yeah um and so it was a very intense experience one that i really i don't even think i started to unpack until uh i was writing the book um because when you when or or for me living in a in a situation like that, um, there's something that happens where you I learned to live every day as my last. Mm -hmm. Um, And just because there was all this violence and terrorism going on doesn't mean that we didn't have a great time. We also I had a very rich life growing up and uh we had a lot of fun and we partied super hard and but i think that was a that was also a product of the fact that you never knew if you were going to come home so it set up a kind of interesting dynamic for me uh and i realized years later that my nervous system was kind of fried from all of those things um yeah, but it was a, just a fascinating backdrop to to grow up in, uh, and try to maneuver around. Um, and the country when I was when I lived here was kind of falling apart. You know, like the the mm-hmm. Supreme Court was bombed, and a lot of the Supreme Court judges were murdered. And um, then it wasn't just that Escobar existed, but there were also the the guerrilla the guerrilla were like the paramilitary and there were struggles between the two of them, yeah, uh, the cartel yeah. and the guerrilla. So it was really, it was like, it was literally living in a war zone. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's shaped me in a lot of ways, you know, because Absolutely. Uh, I think it, it it was an invaluable experience because I can really have a lot of empathy and um. And sort of like a, a, I don't know, like I feel, you know, I mean, with the war, the wars that are happening right now in Ukraine and Israel and mm-hmm. all the things, um, I just really feel for anybody who lives in a war zone, and I, I think it also has made me such a pacifist, you know? Yeah. Like I don't, I don't believe that war is the answer, and I, I. Also feel like we, as most of us as humans, um, I think have understood in some at some point that that it's that it doesn't get us anywhere, you know. So I think we're living in an interesting time um, right now where there's all this, uh, you know, friction and like, do we fight? Do we not fight? And it's it's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, and yeah, like you said, there's a lot of uh, conflict in the world these days. And then something that um, I'm very um, personally affected by as, you know, someone who's of Arabic descent and, um, you know, it's, it's tough, but like the, the situation in Colombia, like it's, um, it's, it's absolutely wild. Uh, it's absolutely wild what happens. Uh, I mean, if for those of you listening who are maybe not familiar with the situation, like do a deep dive on Wikipedia. Um, I don't know if you have an opinion on the show Narcos, but I learned quite a lot about those years uh, from that show. Um, so I would
0: say I, I would say Narcos is a very Hollywoodized version. Of yes, what I would assume that it's very is.
1: dramatized.
0: <laughs> there is a wonderful actually show called Escobar, uh, just titled Escobar. Mm -hmm. Um, that's in Spanish and it has subtitles and um, actually one of my one of my friends growing up plays Escobar in that show but um, that show is a wonderful wonderful um, if you're a history buff uh, or are interested in that time period at all that show is really like a great show that really I think the story is fascinating enough. You don't have to Hollywoodize it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. really and it really shows the the story as is, without over um without kind of putting him on a pedestal, but also acknowledging that he was quite brilliant and quite savage, you know, mm-hmm. like in his in his ways, in the way that he fought his wars. And so I think that um it really uh it shows him as dangerous as he was, you know?
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, he was very oddly, very popular in, in his time. Like, cause he, he really threw his money around with the, you know, the common people and. Well, so,
0: he, he, yeah. yeah, he put a lot of money into the population. Mm-hmm. And so the population uh, grew to love him and would protect him. That's how he, he mm-hmm. stayed protected was he, basically you know helped the poor um and and yeah so it was a really complex it it was a really complex situation and it's still you know if you go to medellin today which i do a retreat um near medellin like once a year in the Mm -hmm. the pacific coast but we start off in medellin um if you go down to medellin you'll you'll see that um there still is a lot of uh there still are very conflicting views, yeah, of Escobar today in Medellin. Some people will be like, "Don't come and idolize him," and other people still idolize him. And yeah, he he was a very um, uh, polarizing yes, uh, figure, you know. Yes.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing I want to touch upon, which is like, this, this is just like one of these things that like, you think that they'd made this up for the show, but this actually like is real is the, the cocaine hippos, (laughs) which are apparently still a menace in Colombia. These like to this day,
0: they've procreated and now nobody can stop them. And people are terrified of them because they go after people.
1: Oh yeah. Hippos are terrifying creatures. Like that is the last animal in the world that you want to make angry. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and now they're in the equator, which they're not animals from these lands, and they're these giant animals, and so they run through the forest and trample everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's become a huge problem, and there's like a whole herd of them. That uh, I think there are something like two hundred hippos that they've did, like they've just kept procreating and procreating, and they've yeah. created.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's wild. Like it's, they've become a full-on invasive species. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's and absolutely that's because wild. He
0: brought them. He had a. Um, he had a uh, zoo in his house and he had all kinds of exotic creatures and mm-hmm. brought the hippos and now there's this huge problem.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get right back into the book. Uh, so we t- we chatted about a little uh, about this a little bit earlier uh, but one of the overarching themes of the book is that of playing roles. So you're playing femininity, playing certain roles within the family, playing roles in the theater. How does that thread extend to being Latinx in some way?
0: yeah I feel like uh, specifically being Latinx in the States is,, um, I feel like we are, uh, I don't know how how you feel,, um, I feel like like we are a little bit unseen hmm. um, and and because I oftentimes can read, I can read as white. Bless you. Um, I was, I needed, feel, so. <laughs> uh, well, I know, but still. Um, Nobody saw uh, it, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but, but I feel like that there's, uh, I don't know, there's something of like we're ignored or not seen mm-hmm. or not. Um, uh, and I think because I read sometimes, uh, I can be read as white, uh, people can forget but I don't forget, you know, and it's a really, it's, um, I, I'm just very aware of the privilege that that brings. Mm. Um, and I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I was asking you how you feel because I feel like we're in a similar minority that's like sort of, um, I mean, I guess, I guess Latin, I I guess I was thinking of myself as a Colombian, which is like a very small mm. country, you know, like, yeah, I'm yeah. a very small minority, even within the Latin community. Um, but I just feel like we, we aren't really acknowledged and where we're acknowledged. It's only in the light of being of service to somebody else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that has, has been tricky, has been tricky. Uh, I think it's been challenging to be seen as anything other than that sometimes uh even with my students whom i love you know um but there can sometimes be like an edge of like oh well you're of service to me like you're you're um serving me uh Mm -hmm. and that can be uncomfortable for me you know um but i definitely always uh i feel yeah i feel that we're not the top dogs and that's that's just kind of um which I have no interest in necessarily being a top dog. I don't want to top anything. I just kind of, yeah. I simply want to be uh, sort of sharing the landscape. But I do think that, that that that's there, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I I definitely hear what you're saying about um, kind of being that invisible minority. You're 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 only seen when you're you're suiting someone's agenda, and Maybe also few... with the whole. Yeah, your, 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 your value is only in how you can serve the um kind of the ruling class or the, the, right. um the, the non marginalized uh, people of society. And uh, there's something else that you said that I also kind of relate to is uh, the whole like light skin privilege. So, you know, mm-hmm. being able to pass as white is, mm-hmm. is something that I've been able to do. Because, uh, you know, I, you know, for those of you who can't see me, uh, I have fair skin. So, um i'm able to pass as white but you know that the jig is up when i have to present my id for whatever reason and then they see my name so i'm sure that you get the same sort of thing it's like oh you're not actually not one of us so it's yes yeah
0: and i feel like i get it from both sides because Mm -hmm. um even though i grew up in south america uh my english is very good and so uh and my accent is is uh, I think it's a little more pronounced right now because I've been in South America for three weeks. but um but I generally I generally have no accent. And so I think that that from the other side, for example, if I go into a bodega and it's owned by Latins, if I speak Spanish or address them in Spanish, they it blows their minds. It's like they can't hear it or understand it. And yeah. they'll only speak to me in English. Which is also so I feel like I'm I'm kind of in this place where I don't fit in in either. Either yeah. or I'm sort of I'm 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 a hardcore in betweener. <laughs> yes.
2: Like, yeah, like I've always
0: I, I just kind of like I think that's part of my trans identity. I think that's part of just who I am and, and the way that for whatever reason I've been I've sort of landed in the world. I, I always am straddling that you know. At least two poles. and, um mm-hmm. I don't know. it's an interesting it's it's an interesting place to be because sometimes you can sometimes i can I can uh, because of that, i I can kind of glide into spaces that other people can't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes because of that, I'm also like not allowed in other spaces that people can inhabit. So it's a really interesting, it's a, it's a wild place to to exist in but I like it I mean I think it's very I don't know it's part of my karma I guess so I feel I feel kind of at home <laughs> there but it's interesting you know
1: yeah yeah and it's just like I I I very much relate to the whole being kind of torn between two worlds because like you know I I mean I grew up in Canada but like my parents are first generation immigrants so it's um you know I, if you didn't know any better it's like I'm just like any other North American person but like it's I yeah. I have certain signifiers that mark me as different. But then if I was to go back to the old country, they would see me as a westerner. It's like I don't really speak the language that well. I don't understand the customs that well. So it's just like everywhere I I I I kind of I see myself as the stranger. Everywhere I go, I am the stranger. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel that way too. It's funny, Mm -hmm. a bunch of I'm noticing on the on the chat that uh, hardcore in betweener was a was a favorite there. And I think it's also a good name for a band, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yes, totally. Some, yes. I, uh, I agree.
1: <laughs> uh, and there was another thing I wanted to touch on. So the very term uh, Latinx uh, is a term that kind of gets a lot of pushback within the Latino Latina uh, community as because because it's it's not a word that you can say in Spanish. So I don't know if you had mm-hmm. any personal thoughts on that. I mean, I'm sure there's a wide variety of opinions on that, but I'm interested in hearing your opinion on it.
0: I like it. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a, a strong feeling either or. I don't really like the term Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels uh, cynical in a way that's, I don't know, uh, not that lovely to my ears. Uh, and Latin is is great too. Uh, I mean, I see, I get what people, I see what what the frustration is with Latinx, but I think it's kind of cute, you know. Like I think it's mm-hmm. it's sort of, it, I think it it um, I find it to be a little bit playful and nodding toward queerness or toward uh, a more expansive way of being. So I I appreciate that about it. So I guess that's maybe why I've started or or why I use it, uh, but I guess I haven't spent that much time thinking about it. That's uh, that's
1: perfectly fair. Cause I, I know that, that there is it, it is a controversial term and not everyone likes it. And like I said, there's a wide variety of opinions. So I don't want to like have you speak for everyone. This is just your own personal opinion, right? So yeah and kind of everyone's opinions are are valid to some extent. So I'm I'm always curious to hear about it because it's not, I mean, it's not my lived experience. It's not my communities. So like I always want to make sure I'm using like the right terms for 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 people. Yeah. Know? So. I appreciate that, but you know,
0: as a hardcore in betweener, I yeah. guess I've always been someone who has—I uh, have used labels, but I've also had a strong resistance to labels. I don't really love labeling myself, um, but I, but I, I understand the need for them. So I also—I mm. uh, think that Latinx fits into into that mindset where it's like I'll use it as a shorthand but I don't necessarily feel like it defines me or, you know, right, it, right. it it's just a way to start the conversation. It's not like the end of the
1: conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I use the term queer because like, um, it, queer is a very nebulous term. It's It can mean a lot of different things. So, you know, yes. I just say that I'm queer. And then if you want to know what I actually mean by that, then you have to ask additional questions.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what I love about queer too, that it's kind of yes. open-ended. It's like- you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh so speaking of kind of being in like a hardcore in-betweener, uh, what would you say is a cumulative effect of living on the outskirts of what society chooses to acknowledge as quote unquote legitimate as uh both as an immigrant or as a queer person or as, you know, a gender outlaw, mm-hmm. as we like to call ourselves sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
0: Can you just repeat that question? Sorry, oh yeah. I got a so like, one.
1: it's it's kind of like the, the what's the cumulative effect of all those things? Is it's kind of mm-hmm. being like as of being an in between or both? Like, um, as as you know, as you're Im- being as an immigrant, so living in the United States as, right. as someone who's Latinx or living in Colombia, someone who spent a great deal of time in the United States, uh, and as a queer person and as someone who is kind of outside the you know gender norms.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh. I I think it's it's uh, made me realize that home. I I've really um, I think it's 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 strengthened the understanding that coming home to myself is the most important thing. Uh, so that wherever I go, I can feel at home because I'm at home with myself, because mm-hmm. I've never really fit, you know, I, I think it's created this, per, this, um, not permanent, but this constant situation where I feel like I don't belong here or there. I'm not yeah. of that or of that. I'm not, you know, like, I, I, I don't, I'm always in between. And so, uh, I think it, it, it's almost like it's really shaped who I am and it's shaped uh, my ability to stand in my own backbone and understand that 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 is enough you know that i can be i can just be me and come home to myself so i'll always have I'll always have like a place a uh, a soft landing place um, yes but i think it's 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 it definitely i mean like you're you're someone who sort of, you know, as you were saying, kind of identifies that with that a little bit too, mm-hmm. and and I'd be interested to hear your experience, but I, I, for me, I do think that it's 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 sort of like it's such a big part of who I am and how I function yeah. in the world, and it also uh, it's such a big part of how I relate to other people and the world, the space of in betweenness. That I have mm-hmm. a a very large um, uh, I have a soft place for those of us who are in that space.
1: Yeah, yeah. So these sorts of uh, in between spaces they're called uh, they're called liminal spaces, mm-hmm. and uh, there's something very queer about liminal spaces. So you can actually uh, one of my YouTube uh, colleagues has a whole has a whole video about this. But, um, but yeah, it's that, that in-betweenness, that being in that liminal space of not really belonging anywhere. And I think this is something that's um, pretty much everyone I've ever talked to that is, is an immigrant themselves or are, is, is the child of immigrants relates to this because you're, you're, you're living in one place while not really being from there. And your, your quote unquote home or where you came from is you're also not welcome there. So it's, You kind of have to carve out your own place. Um, So it's, you know, if everywhere you go is somewhere that you don't belong, then you have to make your own place where you belong. Um, I feel like it's made me more sure
0: footed because uh, I've, I trust myself sometimes. I feel like more than other people who don't feel that in betweenness because I've had to trust myself my whole life with that. You know, I've been navigating that for so long that it also creates like a really, and I think yoga has really helped me with this also mm. too, is is creating a sense of confidence and a sense of ease with, with, with knowing who I am, you know, which I think other people uh, come to maybe later or um, don't have to examine as deeply. Uh, so it's 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 also it, it's very um, it's sobering, but it's also very uh, setting, you know. In some ways, even though um, mm-hmm. I also think that the 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 illusion of um, of safety or or uh, uh, you know, when when people seek relationships because their are sta- stability is a better is a better mm-hmm. word. The illusion of stability is not one that I've ever really bought into. So yep. I'm a lot more comfortable when things move underneath my feet. I'm a lot more fluid, you know, like I don't have a problem pivoting because that's what I've been doing my whole life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, Hey, same here. Like it's, I'm fond of telling people that I've had an interesting life. So that's something that we have in common where we've, we've been a lot of people and we've done a lot of things. Yeah. So it's the, the way I, I kind of have, some people may accuse me of being cynical, but um, the way I see things is everything has an expiry date. Everything is in your life for a limited period of time. So mm-hmm. every, you kind of, everything ends like, you know, jobs, situations, relationships, everything ends. So you just kind of have to be ready for the next thing and you just have to kind of accept things when, when they do end. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just that, that illusion of stability is something that I'm very, very keenly aware that that is an illusion there's no such thing mm-hmm. as something that lasts forever
0: there's a beauty in it too though you know there's mm-hmm. a beauty in in being able to recognize when things are ending or coming to an end and being able to acknowledge that and allowing yourself to have the ending and move on as opposed to fighting it all the time
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh so what probably the most important question what would you most like readers to take away from beautiful monster and most importantly, where can people buy it?
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, well, I'd love for people to. I mean, honestly, it's it's a love letter to our community. Uh, but I don't really presume to to know what they will take away from it. I think that's that's a gift that's uh, intimately theirs. So mm-hmm. I would like for them to take away whatever whatever serves them and whatever doesn't serve them to leave it, you know? Um, and the book is available. Uh, it's available in many bookstores. Uh, it didn't hit a bunch of benchmarks that it needed to be in all bookstores. But mm-hmm. if, you, if it isn't at your bookstore, they probably will order it for you. You can also get it, uh, you know, on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble and all those places. But I really prefer indie bookstores. So you can really you can get it. If they aren't carrying it, they'll order it for you. Um, but it's really available on a wide scale. So uh, if if you order it, they'll they'll find it for you. And uh, and hopefully more bookstores will start carrying it. Um, and and actually, if you do order it from an indie bookstore that doesn't carry it quite yet, it helps the book because then the indie bookstore is like, "Oh, somebody wants it," so then they it puts it on their radar. So a lot of the work that we've been doing is kind of getting the book on people's radar mm-hmm. and whatever. Because I know uh, if if people are gender queer and gender fluid and and uh, non-binary and trans uh, that are listening, you know, we all know how hard it is uh, for us to be able to get our projects out there. So it's it's a labor of love, but it exists and you can definitely find it. Um and hopefully I'm also trying to get it into a bunch of libraries. So for example, if if your library doesn't have it and you or you ask them to order it, that's also a way that can help you and it can help us. Um, Yeah, but it should be, it should be if if it isn't readily available available, it should be orderable from any bookstore.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so we do have uh, some concluding questions that we like to ask all of our guests. But first of all, is there anything that we missed about your memoir or your gender journey that you'd like to make sure that you say?
0: I would like to say that uh, if anyone is out there who's going through a hard time, um, I would like just like to cheer you on and say that uh, even though sometimes it seems insurmountable and even though sometimes it seems almost impossible. um, I feel like we are such magic and it is so worth it to, to live a life that you love and to live the life that was meant for you. Um, And if that's being trans or non-binary, I think that that's, uh, I really do think we are a gift to 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 the world, and mm-hmm. that we are changing the world. So uh, I would just like to cheer you on and say that that I applaud your journey, and um, just know that that there are those of us out there trying to make the world better for you.
1: I love that. Uh, now, this next question is actually my favorite question. Because okay. uh, I mean, we talked a little a little earlier about how kind of hostile the world is to us, and kind of how a lot of our uh, stories are framed in uh, tragedy and loss, but I think far more important is to share our uh, our joys. Uh, can you share with us an experience that you have had with gender euphoria?
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Um, so the the book launch uh, was in October, and um, because of the pandemic. Uh, I hadn't really bought, I, I, my, I started, so I started testosterone a little bit before the pandemic. Um, so I came into the pandemic. Uh, I stepped into my apartment, uh, still very female presenting or reading as female and sort of walked out of the, out of my apartment. Uh, you know, at some point when the pandemic was receding, uh, reading as male and my body had kind of changed and um my clothes still fit like all of the sizing was sort of similar but it just was odd you know and mm-hmm. um so for the the um the launch i treated myself to a couple like a, a new pair of pants and like a new shirt and whatever and there's just i i can't express the feeling of looking in the mirror and just seeing myself, you know, it's, it's just something, it's, it's a very powerful, uh, sublime thing that I wish for everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing how much something as simple as just the right clothes can make you feel. Totally. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I love that. And uh, I mean, I, I, um, I also can relate to the whole, uh, I started the pandemic as one gender and I ended the pandemic as a different gender. <laughs> oh, wow.
0: Oh my gosh. We should make a video about that or something interesting. I mean, I feel like there's the whole, like, that's just, that was such a wild ride for me. Like,
1: Oh my yeah. God. Transitioning during the pandemic, not my first choice, but. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. And, but wait, but, but, I had so not my first choice, but I also felt like being outside of the public eye and being able to experience myself without the the lens of other people seeing me through my transition was also was really nice because it quieted yeah. all those like nay voices like the the naysayers in my mind. So I actually I, I actually there was part of it that i I was really grateful for.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It 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 made certain things more difficult and other things less difficult. Yes. So I I know personally it actually sped up my access to uh, medical transition uh, because yeah. all the doctors are doing everything over the phone and you can right. see way more if people that way. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
0: so. been that's been nothing short of a miracle.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, it's certainly been interesting. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> not not how I would have chosen to have done it, but we don't get to choose the times that we live in. So, <laughs> now is there anything that you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary, trans, and or gender diverse issues?
0: Mm. I love all of it. More, 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 please. Yes. More, please. More. <laughs> More transness, more gender diverseness, more non-binaryness, more all of it. Just bring it on, folks. Let's do this.
1: Yes, I 100% agree. We need more of us out there. We need to tell. We need more trans stories. Just more like, yeah, we're literally can't the be world. Enough. Like,
0: yes. like, let's
1: take over the <laughs> yes! Like, world. Yes, like, world
0: domination. I'm like, world domination, totally. <laughs>
1: Well, this has been a lovely chat. So Miles Brero has survived fronting a Latin rock band, riding horses competitively, acting on various stages across the United States, and nannying a six-year-old. He's been Catholic, Jewish, and a frequent guest of at Krishna's house, and has lived life as a boy, a girl, a woman, a man, and something in between. Now a senior yoga teacher who leads retreats all over the world, Miles is passionate about dismantling the systems within ourselves that keep us small. He lives in New York with a sweetheart and they're two adorable dogs. And there will be a, a link tree in the down below section. If you're listening to this in the future, you can also, if you're watching this live on Twitch, uh, that'll be in the, in the chat somewhere. Uh, you can also file, uh, you can also follow miles on Instagram and Facebook at monk. I miles. Uh, Monky so here miles, is Monky miles,
0: but it is Miles, it's like M O N K I. Yeah. Okay. Monkey. Oh, I get
1: it. <laughs> So here is this week's clatter query that you, that you, our audience can answer on our social media platforms. What beautiful monster are you? <laughs> i am actually, I wish we had more time to do a deep dive on cryptozoology.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know what that is. So I wish we had more time. to do Oh that my God.
1: Too. It's basically, it's a, it's a fancy scientific word for made up monsters. Like, you know, like oh the Sasquatch gosh, and the Loch Ness monster and stuff like yes. that. So
2: <laughs>
0: yes. Please send send pictures, send drawings, send yes. just words, whatever you want. Oh my god, I want, I want it all.
1: <laughs> all right. So coming soon to so next week. Uh, next week's guest will be a surprise uh, because we haven't booked one yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, stay tuned. Uh, make sure you're following a gender full podcast on socials. I uh, also make sure you're following gender Meowster. You can also follow me if you want. Uh, we're looking forward to get back in the swing of things after the winter break. Uh, so for any community updates, uh, I'll leave that to producer Mirami to go over that. Uh, we'd also like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. So thank you to Holly Blash, Winter Vespers, Loch Ness Gamer, Justin Baker Rojas, Yaisio, Ray of Swords, Miramie, The Hessian, and Transcapybara. Uh So thanks again for everyone uh, who tuned in,
2: and uh, we'll see you all next time.
1: Thanks so much, Miranda.
2: Genderful would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays on twitch.tv forward slash gendermeouster. Show notes will appear in the edited versions of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms.
1: If you have a question you'd like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at
2: genderfulpodcast.com. As a gender-diverse community, The Clouder wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics. And we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this.
1: Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash measter to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following or reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at
2: If You take a few minutes to rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power?
1: This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials.
2: Here's our artist credit. Genderful is hosted by Miranda Katita and Gendermeister. Genderful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Texts. Genderful's live stream is produced by Mirami. Genderful is edited and mixed by Trans Griffin and Free Range Megs. Genderful's promos and thumbnail graphic are designed by Trans Griffin. Genderful's social media is managed by Keynesy. Genderful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, also known as Soma. The current GenderMaster logo was designed by Cytopia. Genderful is the intellectual property of GenderMaster. All rights reserved. Trans, Trans rights are human, human rights. rights. That's right.